yeah so should we should we dive in should we, should we yes. start okay yes. I'm not as good as this as you, by the way. So please, <laughs> please don't judge because uh, now I'm working with a real pro. Watch this. Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills and today I'm joined by Bruce Fitzpatrick. Hello. And we have special guest Cara Banks on the show. Cara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So Cara, we'll be used to seeing you on TV with the Golf Channel and seeing you host the Golf Channel over there. And our listenership is mainly British-based, and we don't get to see as much as you as, as perhaps the American audience do. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into golf and the story of kind of very briefly of how you got to where you are now. Um, my family, basically. Um, my dad's a golfer, my mum's a skier. Um, you know, I kind of grew up watching golf on Sunday afternoons uh, with my dad. Um, and we are members of Royal St. Ports of Deal, which I know you guys know it's right next to Royal St. George's, which hosted the Open last year. And um, they honestly are partly to thank for my love and knowledge of golf because they have, we've been members there forever, my family. And um, they have this kind of open week at the end of August every year. And it's known as Deal Week. And members, visitors, guests, anyone can come. And it's just kind of, in American terms, it's like a 10-day member guest. Obviously, we don't really have member guests quote as much in, in the UK, but it's like the first weekend is foursomes match play knockout across three days. The second weekend, singles match play knockout across three days. In the middle, there's like um, a staple for sorry, a medal with a cut. There's a staple for there's a mixed foursomes, which is always our major of the week because my husband and I are trying to win it and never have. And there's like a women's um, schedule that follows along with the men. So anyway, we used to go to that year in, year out. And I am not a great golfer. I mean, I can play and, and have a laugh, but my background is definitely broadcasting rather than playing. You know, a lot of people over here have played college golf or, or whatever to get into what we do. But um, I kind of grew up watching my dad, my brother, my cousins play deal every summer. And I would hit the ball, but like there just weren't any girls my age that played, which is, I think, what prevented me from playing much when I was younger. But anyway, I would literally walk the golf course, the back nine. You know, it was a true links, nine out, nine back. Great halfway hut that you can drive out to. So it just kind of became a social activity. Um, we would just go and watch them. And so I just had a really good understanding of the game really young from just watching them play and knew, I always knew I wanted to work in TV. I was obsessed, kind of still am with Davida McCall, which is so refreshing <laughs> to, to talk to you guys because no one in the US knows who Davida is. Um, but, you know, I grew up probably like a lot of us watching Big Brother and Street Mate and a lot of the shows that Davina used to present. And I just remember sitting at home with my mum in the kitchen one night thinking that's what I want to do. So I kind of knew I wanted to work in TV, didn't know I wanted to do sport to begin with, um, actually started out in entertainment. Like I was a runner on Al Murray's Happy Hour, which was... That's where you all start as runners though, isn't it? I mean, exactly. you got to make cups of tea. So yeah, I was making cups of tea for, for this Saturday night chat show, essentially. And um, I just sort of thought, oh, I don't know if I want to do entertainment. I, it's just... I just like the allure of sport because there's just history and facts and stuff to work off. And I just kind of like the substance to it. So anyway, long story short, my mum played golf with someone. That's why this game's so great. Um, who knew someone, whatever. And I had an interview and a job at IMG and I, I started working at IMG as a production secretary 
I was a personal assistant for two years to the managing director of European Tour Productions. And I was just always doing stuff in my own time on the side. Like I, I did student radio when I was at uni. I did in my gap year, I presented the world entertainment news in Ghana and Africa of all places. Like I always tried to get things on my CV that would help out. And one of my mates was producing the world's rugby seven series. I presented a bit of that for sky. Like I just always tried to have some experience and then, you know, there's a lot of right place, right time to it. IMG decided to launch a golf show called golfing world and they needed, you know, I worked on it to begin with as um, what we called a predator which was a producer. Oh, what's a predator? That's yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, what's know. a predator? It's a wonderful term that was created by Tim Lacey, who was kind of my mentor at um, IMG, but yeah, producer, editor. Um, oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not quite as predatory as it sounds, but we would travel the, the Europe, well, actually the European PGA Tour, LPGA Asian Tours on our own. It was basically the first kind of low budget production we would travel on our own with an F5 camera and, you know, an Apple Mac with Final Cut Pro on, and we would create ourselves. So I was, I did this myself for a few years. We would create four minute features that we would then send back to London to go in the weekly 30 minute show. So we'd arrange player interviews, sit them down, have to set up the camera, then have to ingest it all, edit it. I, I can't believe this was part of my former life, but it was. Um, <laughs> Anyway, and then, you know, that used to air on Sky every week. And Jason Wesley at Sky sort of said, well, this program would be way better if it was presenter-led. And I was lucky enough that they asked me to do it. And the rest is history, basically. With, with Golfing World, so that sounds like you were kind of given quite a bit of free reign there in terms of going and identifying some of the features and maybe some of the, the kind of interesting stories to tell that were going, you know, on, on, on alongside the main tour events. Is that is that a fair... Something. Yeah, we were given a lot of freedom. We had to kind of come up with, I think, three or four features a week. Like we'd go, I'd go to South Africa maybe sometimes to the Joburg Open, or I'd go to what used to be the WGC Cadillac at Doral, Miami. You had to send back three or four feet, three or four four minute features a week. Um, and so obviously the days to really film anything player related was mainly Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you could use like the, the second half of the week to edit. Um, but you could, you know, you could do a story on the charity, you could do a story on the history of the event, you could do a, you know, a player profile. Yeah, it was pretty much your your freedom to decide. And we'd kind of submit ideas to our senior producer and he'd sort of okay them or suggest something else if, if they didn't like your idea. And that sort of thing is quite stressful, really, because I know that with travel, I know you travel a lot now still, but travel is always seen as quite a glamorous thing. And I think the reality of it is it's actually quite hard to travel around and, be away from your family and try to come up with stories. Was it quite, um, when you were working on golfing world, was it quite a, a difficult environment at first before it kind of really took off? Well, I have one quite funny story about traveling, which at the time was not that funny, but yeah, you can wipe glamour out of the equation. It's a little bit more glamorous now what I do, but, um, you know, we're flying in economy and I'm, and I'm on a Virgin Atlantic airplane to, I think I was flying to Tampa and then I was actually going to have to drive to Orlando. I don't know why I wasn't just getting a flight to Orlando. But anyway, probably the cost of um, flights. Our budget was so low, hence the low budget production. I think our, our room budget was $100 a night, which doesn't really get you wow. very far. Anyway, um, and I was like back of the plane, back cabin, um, middle row, middle seat, like, you know, probably worst position on the plane you could have. I've got my my F5 camera kit that has to come on as hand luggage. So you have like an enormous hand luggage bag up in the um, 
overhead locker. Anyway, and we take off and in my lap, I've got my passport on my phone because I just hadn't been able to get out of my chair since takeoff. So we take off and we've been going maybe for about half an hour. And the captain comes on and he says, can all flight crew report to the flight deck immediately? And I thought, I travel a lot. And they never say that. Anyway, so I thought, what what was going on? And then all of a sudden, all the flight crew come back. The captain comes on and he says, we're turning the plane around for an immediate landing. We need to make an emergency landing. So everyone just stay in your seat and buckle up. And you're... You know, you have wow. no idea at that point, like, what is wrong? You know, is the What plane are you thinking about? then? Are you thinking... You, you have no idea a... if the plane's about to blow up. Like, if there's obviously a serious problem, right? So, but how serious is it? So you just, obviously, there's nothing you can do. Like, it's out of your control. So, and I say we had been flying for half an hour. We were back on the ground within about 10 minutes. Like, it was really? the fastest landing I've ever oh, experienced, yeah. obviously. Landed on the... Um, on the runway and stopped dead. Like as soon as the, the wheels hit the runway, the plane stopped dead rather than carrying on down the runway. It was so vicious that someone, I think a child in the row in front of me had vomited. Anyway, so oh, then, there's, and then the captain came on and he said, do not, don't, no one get out of your seats. Do not move. And so everyone's trapped here and there's this smell of vomit going around the, um, <laughs> around the cabin. And then all of a sudden the captain just comes on, saying emergency evacuation and you have no idea what sort of situation you're in so you jump up try and get off the plane you have to leave the ca- have to leave the camera behind fortunately i have my passport and phone and you're you know you're queuing to get out this door and they had bear in mind we were on the runway they had um let off the inflatable slides which yeah. you know you only ever see yeah, in videos yeah. you think so anyway um yeah, off I jumped down an inflatable slide onto some hard tarmac and ran to a field where there was emergency buses to pick us up. It was one of the most surreal experiences of my life. Turned out what had happened was um, the smoke alarm had gone off in the hold. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, needless to say, I didn't end up doing that trip. But I've had another <laughs> trip where <laughs> mid-air to uh, mid-air the you know, all the oxygen masks have come down halfway across the Atlantic, which was just a mistake and someone had pressed the wrong button. But there are some things that, that shock you mm. along the way. <laughs> but yeah, that was probably the one that stands out the most. You can't be a nervous flyer, can you? If you, yeah, I guess the amount of travel that you do, it's, yeah. just, it's bound to happen. You're going to have some sort of little technical glitch or, or, or something like that that crops up. So I guess it's just a case of just grinning and bearing it and, and, and forgetting about it next time you get on the plane. Yeah, exactly. I didn't really want to get on the plane the next day. Um, so I was happy to set out that trip. But now, as you say, exactly, we travel all the time. So you have to just get used to the turbulent bumps and jumps. It's quite interesting hearing about that that golfing world sort of, um, yeah, your, your, your time there. Because I guess in a way, I mean, maybe I'm getting my history and chronology like way out of whack here. But those features now have, have almost become really part of the mainstream broadcast and certainly with the advent of social media and the increasing popularity of, you know, uh, the PGA tools, Instagram account or DP world and, and how much coverage there is there. That was almost like a forerunner for, for a lot of the, the, the coverage we see now, I, I guess, coming out on some of those social media channels. So it must be quite cool to have almost led that, that charge in a way to so having a, a look behind the scenes. Well, yeah. And we were quite, when I was doing all of that and even maybe, yeah, around then that time we were, um, kind of starting the world of digital live streaming and stuff for the mm. first time. So we had this pack called a live you and we were, um, this was yeah before the, before the show became presenter led, but we would do 
these live hits from like um, golf live and events like that that happened. And that was, you know, cause people say to me, how did you get into what you do? And did you train to do it? And did you go to stage school or presenting? And I said, no, I didn't do anything. I learned it all on the job. Like I, my degree was politics at Newcastle. Um, but I think I was lucky that I, I was around at a time where digital social media videos and stuff wasn't as massive as it is now mm. that I was able to get a lot of reps as they would say over here, just like a lot of hits under my belt of really kind of low key stuff that let's be honest, no one was really watching. We were sort of doing more to get used to how we use the equipment. Mm. So for what I do now, that definitely really helped me out. Um, but I would actually say the the flip, like I would say all of the, I think everyone's realized now how big social media and stuff is that all of these, you know, the stuff that the DP World Tour team do, which is a good few good friends of mine from back in the IMG days, they have like full budgets and camera crews. And mm. it's, it mm. is actually a lot more high budget now than I think it used to be, because I think just the the level of content that is consumed <laughs> from those platforms, arguably more than than the, what's broadcast on TV, right? I mean, I'm sure yeah. there's some things that you see far more of on people's Instagram handles than you do on watching any depends whatever channel you're watching but yeah who knows yeah we've said on this podcast quite a lot i think certainly the dp world tour they they tend to, to do a really good job of little features that kind of go behind the scenes and get you to kind of know the players a little bit more do you think with the um with the advent of social media and the, how big it's going especially with the player impact program and everything that's come along with it do you think the landscape of media is changing at the moment. Do you think it's quite transient? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it has changed, but, you know, the PIP thing is massive. You know, even this week with Tiger, you know, a lot of people are saying what he decides to do will, will have a big effect on the PIP. You know, he's tw tweeted today, as I'm sure you saw, that he's going to come to Augusta today on, wait, Augusta. Oh, my gosh. So if I say Augusta over here, I get absolutely, like, ridiculed by everyone isn't that what it is well yeah it's for us but for the americans they say augusta augusta yeah yeah oh, no, okay. a, silent a almost isn't it <laughs> yeah or like silent u right so it's just like augusta yeah or maybe that's i don't know and uh, we obviously all call it augusta, it's augusta isn't it but i've never had more feedback on twitter or whatever if um <laughs> when I say Augusta and I get told it doesn't have an O in it. And anyway, with an English audience, I can call it Augusta. But um, yeah, there's, a, I think like the, the PGA Tours PIP program um, is it very interesting because I don't know how much it affects what players tend to put out there on their social media channels or how they decide to deliver messages. You know, Tiger didn't need to post that tweet today. He could have just rocked up. But yeah. him posting, we all know what happens when Tiger puts a message out. I mean, him mm. posting that tweet would have had more views and likes and retweets and whatever than, than anyone else's. He won, obviously, the Player Impact Fund last year and probably likely will any year that he's engaged. So um, I just think, honestly, the con so I think, I think before, like maybe, I don't know, a decade ago or something, social media, digital content was still sort of on the back burner. Whereas now I would say that people watch as much, if not more of their content online mm. on a phone than they do on TV without mm. a doubt. What was it like in, in the early days, like, you know, creating that content and approaching just from a player perspective, approaching them and saying, you know, kind of, I guess maybe on the Monday, Tuesday, when it's a little bit less, um, 
intense for them before they're, they're, they're really in the thick of things. But, you know, no, with some of the interesting kind of games that maybe the DP world tour, I'm thinking of like, you know, the 14 club challenge, for example, or other ideas that you have that you come along with it. Do you find most players are fairly approachable? Is it a bit of a mixed bag? Yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag. Um, and, and you have to know what you're, you're doing. Like yeah. I learned a lot early. Unfortunately, I, you know, what, cause you sometimes get TV people that just get put in golf mm. that have to learn golf. You know, fortunately I mm. knew golf. So I, I knew the etiquette. I know how to dress, for example, and particularly, let's be honest, as a woman on the men's golf tour, I feel like you have to be a bit more aware of not walking down the range in a spaghetti strap top or a vest or whatever, you know, like I know that you wear polo shirts at a golf course, that there's just little things like that, first of all, that you need to obviously know about the etiquette of how to dress and then when to approach a player. Um, obviously, once a tournament day has started, that's just a no-go. no, no go. Um, And really, even, even on a tournament day, like pre-round, you would never go up to them. But really, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday is typically quite a quiet day. A lot of the players mm. travel in. But typically on a Tuesday, Wednesday the best time to approach a player is during their practice round because practice rounds tend to be slow. Um, you know, once they've all teed off and they're walking from the tee to the fairway, like that's a really easy time to catch up with them. Everyone's pretty much allowed inside the ropes. Or if you're an accredited member of the media, you can go inside the ropes, I should say. Um, so that's that's generally pretty fine. You, you get a sense if someone's working on something like if they're not in a good mood, you know, which players are usually better mooded than others. And you, anyway, you start to build relationships and you start to build relationships with the agents, which is massive as well with the managers, obviously. And, and then it's better because you start to book things in in advance and you could set something up that when yeah. they finish their practice round on Tuesday or when they finish their press conference on Wednesday, they'll come and sit down with you for five minutes. So that really helps. Now things like the 14 club challenge, that was all after my time. And that's much more of a production that's planned yeah. way in advance with the DP World Tour Player Relations Department and full camera crews and stuff like that. Do you, did you think, because you were kind of a, a, a forerunner to, to all that stuff, did you find in the early days it was a, it was a tough sell or, or were players on board pretty early with it all? Well, you know, they, they all want the exposure. So there is that, like, and it's free exposure for them and their sponsors. Um, and you know, there is a bit of downtime on tour once you've got your prep and your work done. So generally I would say people were pretty open to it. Um, as long as you knew what you were doing and you're professional and efficient about it. I mean, they're not going to want to sit there for 10 minutes while they're trying to figure out how to do white balance. So you have to be, <laughs> <laughs> which I still don't think I know how to do, but anyway, um, yeah, so you just have to be organized and you have to do it's a good okay. job. Just and... film it yellow. It's fine. No one will yeah. notice. I mean, just honestly, pick it up in the edit. All this stuff I used to have to try and figure out. But generally, I'd say, and I always say this, we're really lucky to work in golf because the, the athletes, the professionals that we work with are all really approachable mm. and, and really nice. And it is not like that in other sports. Are there any who's kind of stand out uh, in the mind as being, you know, particularly different to maybe the, the kind of preconceived idea you might have had going in, someone who had like a, you know, particularly dry wit or, or great sense of humour or... Well, we all know Henrik is like the funniest guy out there. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. Henrik Stenson is the, is the, is the big joker and him and him and Polter's relationship is funny because they're always trying to stitch each other up. And that is like real, you know, they're both neighbors at, at Lake Nona. Um, and, and they're just like, yeah, they, they just do kind of become friends and the caddies and, and the whole sort of team around these players because 
if you're on the road a lot, you're all kind of in it together. I mean, I'm not saying that you're all one big traveling family with the players because they are slightly in a different league, but the caddies are a huge part of it as well. And if they get to know you and, and some of, you know, our great friends are some of the caddies on the PGA tour, because, um, you're out there so often and they can help you out as well and let you know what time the player's teeing off, you know, or what time you're going to go practice one day. It just really helps to build relationships. And, um, yeah, everyone is generally very well humoured and, and, and up to have a bit of a laugh at the right time. You mentioned there, obviously two Europeans that, that, that kind of stand out as having a, you know, a good, a good, good for a laugh and, someone you'd like to, to to spend time with you moved to america to go and work work over there how did that come about the move to america and when you went there did you did you feel like there was a different landscape that you'd moved into in the american media compared to to british media yeah oh my gosh it was huge um so i was doing golfing world and i was traveling as i said all the time and then i moved from being a predator to being a presenter so I would there then travel with a predator. So I still wasn't often working with a professional cameraman. I would go out with the predator and we would film like links with me walking on the golf course or whatever. But because I was on the PGA tour every week or a lot of weeks, I got to know a lot of the media on the PGA tour. One of whom was Todd Lewis, who's been a reporter on the PGA tour for years. And another of whom is Courtney Holt, who is our kind of talent and player relations guru. And um, I'll never forget them coming up to me in the media centre. I think it must have been at the Tour Championship in 2013, I want to say, in Atlanta. And just sort of said, would you ever consider working for Golf Channel? And I was like, yeah, like, are you mad? If you work in golf TV, like 100%. And they said, okay, cool. So we've just got a new exec coming in and, you know, it might be worth you meeting them and blah, blah, blah. So anyway... At the beginning of 2014, I was out there for the PGA show. So I, we arranged a meeting. And I think this guy, I mean, I walked into his office and I think he was a bit like, who, who are you? So I oversold myself. And he was like, okay, well, next time you're back in Florida, why don't you come and do a screen test? And I was flying out anyway for the Honda Classic um, with Golfing World. So I drove up one day on one of my days off from Palm Beach to Orlando and went and did a screen test in the studio after morning drive, which used to be the breakfast show on Golf Channel, which actually no longer exists. But they finished the show at nine. They put me through hair and makeup and put me on there to do a segment. And then um, I guess that went well. So they asked me to come back in the summer and do a week like on air with them in July. So I did that. And my boss was very kind, Tim Lacey, who I mentioned before, to kind of give me a week off after the Open to go and do that. Um, and, yeah, then I'll never forget it. I was on holiday with um, my now husband's family in in Kalkan, in Turkey, and we were flying back and we were at the airport in Kalkan. And uh, I got a call from Molly Solomon, who is the, well, she's now um, very senior um, running all the Olympic summer and winter Olympic coverage on NBC, but she's been the executive producer at Golf Channel as well for years. And, um, I, you know, I always say she changed my life. And it was really that phone call that changed my life. She she called me and said, before I offer you this job, are you willing to move your life to Florida? And I was like, let me just take all of 10 seconds to think about that. <laughs> um, yes. But obviously I think we, we you know, we, we did plan for that potential to come and would we be happy to do it ollie who is is my husband now we've been together for three years living together in a flat in london and you know i was 30 years old we didn't have a family yet um he works at img as well and we just 
it just felt like one of those things that you couldn't turn down, you know, yeah. like um, you obviously co- couldn't really turn down the chance to do that. So yeah, that, that was that, but that then took quite a long time. I didn't actually move until that was summer of 2014. I didn't move until February of 2015 because I mean, I think I signed the contract at the Ryder cup in the September and then the visa process and everything else. But so see, I moved over full time and Ollie couldn't actually move over full time to begin with because of the visa situation. Mm. And uh, so he would sort of come out for a few weeks at a time and go back. And I, I sort of arrived and started this really weird lifestyle because I, my role was to co-host the morning drive, which was the breakfast show, which was on air live at 7am every morning. So I was getting up at 3.15. I was in makeup at 4am. I mean, it, it was just a bizarre sort of jet lagged existence. So I, because Ollie wasn't out there and I was kind of on my own, I just led this really weird life where I went to bed at seven o'clock at night as much as I could and kind of got in eight hours sleep before getting up at three o'clock in the morning. But, um, and, and the job itself was so different because it was mm. live TV every day. And I hadn't really been doing that much live TV. I'd done a bit at our kind, I covered Wimbledon and the open we'd done some live digital productions. Um, but all of a sudden this was, you know, a live control room, um, live producer in my ear the whole time. And I just kind of jumped in with two feet and it, and it, it was great. It all worked out, but it was definitely an adjustment to the job and the lifestyle and fortunately, you know, as the years went on, Ollie and I both got green cards and now have two American citizen children. Um, so everything has changed a lot since then. But um, yeah, it was definitely an adjustment, but I wouldn't say it was that big an adjustment culturally in the sense that obviously, you know, the US and, and UK aren't, you know, they're both first world countries, yeah. obviously. Um, it's just more, and I traveled to the US a lot as a kid because my dad's business was golf holidays. So in our summer holidays, we always used to come over to America and go and set golf resorts that he was doing business with and stuff. And we have godparents over here and things. So I was used to traveling over here. It was just things that you wouldn't think of, like, where do I go to buy a bed? You know, or where do I go to buy a scooper? <laughs> like, we're used to all our department stores in England, but over here it's like, you know, just little things like everyday yeah, stuff yeah. like that you have to get used to. And did you think, like, obviously going from something that uh, was fairly low-key... With, with the golfing world to go to something where you're you know on live tv every morning was that quite difficult to adjust to in terms of the fame aspect of it well we had this moment actually when um when i'd first moved out there and i'd maybe been there for two weeks and ollie and i were at the um local mall in orlando and we were in the car park and i'd just finished work that day i think I don't know, I may have still had all my makeup on, I can't remember. And this guy drove past us in the parking, in the car park and pulled down the window and said, oh my God, it's Cora from Morning Drive. And Ollie turned around to me and he went, I'm, I can't cope if that happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it never happened since. Like, I think it's, it's a very golf-specific audience. You know, generally walking around a mall, you're not going to get that many golf channel viewers, I wouldn't think. Um, so... Like job and career wise, it was kind of what I always wanted to do. So that was brilliant and didn't and didn't um phase me too much. And honestly, the fame side is not it's not probably what you think it is. It's just, you know, yes, if you're at a golf club or in a golf shop, people will probably know what you do. But I also look very different like on an off day to how I look when I've been in a makeup chair for an hour, you know, the fake lashes and everything else is, is a bit of a different look and all my hair done and stuff. So half the time people probably don't even realize I'm the same person, to be honest, (laughs) until they hear me talk and then they figure it out. (laughs) 
Um, obviously, you, you're you're in Augusta at the minute. You've just covered the um, the the Anwa. Um, yeah. How was it? How was it? It's obviously awesome. had a dramatic finish. Yeah, it's so cool. It's like I don't know how how easy it is to relate from watching in England, but one of the things I really had to learn when I moved here as well was the college game, which is yeah. massive mm. and obviously quite alien to us in England. And I was like, wait, what, what's, a, what's a sophomore? Like, I mean, I had no idea, you know, learning about freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, and um, all the schools and colleges that play and the NCAAs and all of that was just a massive learning curve for me. But anyway, cause golf channel now cover a lot of the college game. And this is an extension of that, but obviously a bigger um, stage for the women. Um, and it's this year's just been really cool because it feels like it's the third year doing it, and there's just players that we we're familiar with already. Because yeah. it's hard mm. for any tournament when you turn up and you don't really know who anyone is, and no one, none of the audience do. Whereas now, you know, we're starting to learn a bit more about these players when they're younger, and they have some stories and some previous experiences in this event. So uh, I actually went and walked around a bit on Friday when they had their practice day which is a really unique, special day because they play their first two rounds on Wednesday and Thursday at another golf course in Augusta Champions Retreat. And then they have the whole 72 women can come and practice um, at Augusta National on the Friday. But no fans, patrons are on property then. So it's just them, their you know family or coaches, and I guess a few of us media, and there's no one else out watching. So mm. it's a really kind of serene day when they all get mm. to play the golf course, irrelevant of whether they qualify for the top 30. And then it's just awesome to watch um, women competing at Augusta National. Like that's that's the big part of this. Is you know a few years ago it's something that would never have been allowed. Um, you know a few years before that there were never even any female members. So it's just cool to see the club being as progressive as it is now and I think I work with a lot of former players who could have just never dreamt of them of having the opportunity to do this and now they get to watch other young women playing it's it's actually it's actually a really special special event and a special day on, on Saturday and I guess spending an extra week there as well at Augusta's it, it, it's a pretty cool experience as well to have like now this kind of two-week period where you've got, you know, the Augusta National Women's Amateur drive chip uh, and then leading into the Masters. I guess it's nice to be able to to kind of park up there, as it were, for a, for a, for a fortnight. Well, don't tell that the young family that I've left at home for 12 days <laughs> <laughs> who don't understand why this is such an extra long trip. But yes, it it makes it obviously a much longer much longer stay in Augusta than the normal. But as you say, it's, it's kind of nice because... It's now Sunday, probably the day I typically travel in. And I feel like I'm already settled. I've already had a few days under my belt. Um, you're kind of more prepared by the time Masters Week comes out. You've already kind of covered a whole mini tournament. So it's actually the perfect lead lead up to it. And today, yeah, we've had the kids doing the DCP, which is really, I don't, I've never covered that event. So um, I've been around the hotel a lot today, which funnily enough is the same hotel that all the DCP participants stay in. And it's just really cool to watch them walking around with their parents and how excited they are this morning to go off and try and win their age division and stuff. So it's just a really cool build to the tournament week starting on Monday. Do you find that, I mean, this whole sort of two week period kind of ebbs and flows in terms of intensity? Cause you have, like you said, this really serene practice day and then you've got a 
a proper competition that's 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 competitive and fiercely competitive, and then you've got a few days off for the drive chip part, then a few days off. Then is the par three, which is all tongue in cheek and everyone's smiling. And then, then it's down to the first major of the year. Is it a strange time to watch that ebb and flow of competitiveness and an environment at the time around Augusta at the moment? Well, it's good that it changes so much because otherwise it's, there are some majors that we get to and you've been broadcasting since Monday and you're like, oh my gosh, when, when does this start? You know, you're on you're Wednesday and you've still got another day to wait for the golf to start. And there's only so much you can talk about while they're waiting for the golf to start. But this is really good because, you know, first of all, it's a whole different group of competitors than it was obviously at the um, women's amateur. Um, so that's, and it's just a, it's just a totally different feel. It's amateurs, it's young people that you might not know, um, who really don't have as much experience on this golf course. And then this is the kids, which is a totally different environment. Now this year is going to be really cool because the par three is coming back. We haven't had the par three for the last mm. two years, I don't think at least. Um, so with COVID and then one year, the weather was awful. Um, so the par three is like the, just such a cool place in the, in the week because Wednesday afternoons typically at golf tournaments and definitely majors are really quiet because if you haven't got your work done by Wednesday afternoon, it's sort of too late. You don't want to be grinding on the driving range on Wednesday afternoon. Um, so I'm actually going to be covering it for Sky as well. So I'm, I'm doing half and half this week. I'm doing golf channel from Monday to Wednesday morning with our live from coverage. So I think airs on Sky as well. And then I'm hopping over to join the Sky team. So you'll you'll catch me at the par three, actually. I'm going to be doing the player interviews uh, down there on the golf course. And then um, I'll be doing the post-round player interviews, I think, as per the last couple of years. But it'll just be really neat because we haven't seen, you know, I think Rory plans to bring his daughter Poppy this year. And I don't know whether Tiger and Charlie will play or not. But um, the par three is, I think, what breaks up this week so well. Because you have a couple of days of practice and then it's just a really light and fun afternoon on Wednesday and then it all kicks up obviously on Thursday. It all seems all light and breezy on the part. Are they are they are they all as laid back and chilled as they seem when they're doing the par three or is it yeah it's amazing yeah it's that's a great question and it's amazing because you think what like they've the the master starts tomorrow. Yeah but they it's just bizarre. It's it is honestly so chill. They have their girlfriends out on the bag or wives or kids. And it's honestly like, for even for all the players, the whole stress and intense and pressure of a major week just gets put to the side that week and that week, that afternoon. And they just all relax and enjoy it. Um, I think they appreciate what a special and um, exclusive thing it is to be able to do with your family. Because you, you order the little kids... Um, caddy suits like months in advance Rory was talking about the fact that his has already arrived last week so yeah it is but it's it's tr- it's amazing they do just kind of switch off from competition mode and just enjoy it wasn't it the last par three where Fino did his ankle when he did that yeah was I that think that was maybe was played? Oh, I think it was God. the second to last one maybe but yeah uh, yeah oh. there's often some quite interesting stories that come out of that day and look <laughs> some people like Tiger in his heyday famously never competed never did the par three because yeah, superstition. Sort of jinxed, yeah, yeah. yeah nothing won the yeah. and won the Masters. So um, I did, we'll see whether or not he plays this year. I guess you've covered the Masters a few times now, Cara, but each time you go back, do you still feel 
a sort of uh, yeah just a, just a something different in the air every time you go there i imagine for anyone who visits augusta national for the first time it's like you know this place is sort of like Candyland. they've heard so much about it and obviously the event has become what it is today and, and everyone goes in with such high expectations and maybe a sense of like they're kind of treading on eggshells but do you ever get comfortable sort of going there and 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 just 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 you know doing your doing your job there no, it, it blows your socks off every time. Like, there's no doubt about it because there is just no place as pristine and perfectly manicured and as strict with some of their rules as Augusta National. You, you still cannot have your phone on, on the grounds. No one can have their phone on the grounds. You can't What do run. they do? They come and just whip it off you if you get... if you. Yeah, you, you get kicked out. If you're seen with your phone, you will get escorted out. Really? And it's happened to colleagues of mine previously. Now we wow. can take ours in to look here. I'll show you. So I have a sticker on the back of mine, right? Which means I'm allowed to take it in because I'm a member of the media, but I'm not allowed to take it out of the press building or the studio building. And like you, oh. even even if you're seen <laughs> oh, with it, even if you're seen with it in your pocket, they can tell it's a phone. Like it's <laughs> very strict the phone situation. Um, so yeah, and there's, so there's things like that that. Um, you know, don't really happen at any other golf tournament. Um, and I would say, like, the first year I went was, um, God, I don't even know, it might have been 2013. But anyway, I'd been on the road for a month with Golfing World, and this was my last week of the month. And the week before I'd been at the, um, what's the Chevron Championship this week, the ANA was called the Craft Nabisco then, which makes me feel really old. But, um, you know, the, the ladies' major that's taking place right now where the winner jumps into Poppy's Pond in California. And I was obviously excited to be going to the Masters for the first time the following week, but I was also like, oh, this is my fourth week on the road. You know, I, I'm looking forward to it, but I also kind of can't really wait to get home. And everyone said to me, like everyone was telling me, just you wait you know, you think it's amazing and you get there and it blows your mind. And I was a bit like, yeah, okay, enough already. I've heard how great this place is. And mm -hmm. then sure enough, like that exact thing happens. You, it's just, it's just bizarre. And it's, it's on this road that you would not expect somewhere like Augusta National to be, you know, you go past the Hooters and a Denny's and whatever else on Washington road. And then all of a sudden you turn right. Well, I don't, but they turn right into Magnolia Lane. And, um, yeah, it's just immaculate. And one of the things that strikes you the most when you're there for the first time is just how undulating it is and how hilly it is. And, and when you come, yeah. when you're standing outside the clubhouse, really everything drops down in front of you, mm. which is hard to really envisage on TV, but it is, it's really hilly. You know, that 18th is really a steep uphill. And um, yeah, it's just so, it's so iconic that, that there is no place like it. We've had um, reports of players getting there ready to get their practice rounds in, have a couple of rounds. There's obviously been a few changes this year with 11s changing the green on 13 and 17s changing. Um, how are you hearing anything on the ground and how the changes have been received? Is there any chatter about what's going on there? Yeah, the big one, I think, is 11. Um, and not many since I've been here of the men have been here um, because obviously it's been closed for the, for the women's amateur. And uh, I think today is really the first day that people have started to come out and get out on the golf course. And I haven't actually been at the golf course today as I've been enjoying a rare day off. But um, 11, we were talking to a lot of the women about it on Friday. I think the tee's been moved back and a bit to the left. Um, so I think lends itself more to a draw. But the big, 
big change is short of the green. So it used to be pretty flat, short right of the green on 11 yeah, and you can bump and run it area. on. Yeah. But now, it, yeah, there is a real dip. So you've really got to get up and down, which could be a bit of an issue because it's going down grain towards the water. So I think that does make it a bit more challenging if you're if you're short right of the green. I think 15's just been lengthened. I haven't been be, like been out there yet to see the changes to the greens, but um, I will know a lot more about it when we do a whole piece on it in live from the Masters tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have to keep our uh, keep an ear out for that. Um, I, I guess it must be quite interesting though, just hearing the the kind of old veterans really of the masters and even the guys you know aren't necessarily that old like a rory but he's played so many masters and they they become so accustomed to to this event given given it's the only major that is played in the same sort of venue each year or same course each year and 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 hearing how they maybe talk about it almost as if you know they're kind of like you know um well yeah they've they've earned the right to be almost sort of members in a way of this exclusive club that is just so good that they're always kind of playing their year in year out and they know every blade of glass blade of grass of of the course and then guys who are seeing it for the first time and maybe a little bit sort of starstruck and 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 trying to soak up as much of that knowledge from from past winners there as they can it's interesting because because of everything you've just said it's so rare for a first timer to win El augusta mm. other than obviously fuzzy zella doing so famously but he also had a local caddy on his back um because not only do you have to really learn the golf course but just the whole aura around the week. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just so different. Like you can't, the, no one is allowed inside the ropes other than the player and the caddy. And um, I think the scorer, you know, at all other tournaments, you at least have media members inside walking. It's just such a different experience. There's, there's this place outside the clubhouse, the big Oak tree, which is where a lot of accredited people tend to meet because you don't have phones. So you can't arrange to meet up. But um, I think it, does take people typically a while to get accustomed to playing at the masters which fortunately they are able to do because as you say it returns there each and every year but i mean then again colin morikawa had not played links golf before he went to scottish open last year and then won the, <laughs> yeah. the following week so these guys are now really good that that might mm. change but yeah. the thing with rory is interesting because obviously he's going for the career grand slam again um and some people believe that it's at, I mean, I guess there's two sides to every story, but, you know, there's the argument that it should be easier for him here because he's always trying to do it on the same golf course. But then at the same time, it probably feels more intense because he's coming back to the exact same kind of pressure yeah. cooker every year. He's got yeah. all the memories from when he's let it slip away um, and, and he can't kind of wipe the slate clean on a new golf course. So I guess there's pros and cons to, to his particular story. Yeah, and he's well. He's got all the scars. I see. It's got to be so difficult. And like you say, I mean, the same place every time, going back and just trying to get it over the line. And he's got so close as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be a very, very, very interesting week. And and he just missed the cut in Texas, which is not the best. <laughs> um, Do you find that tricky at all, Carl? Where you have maybe sort of personal favourites or, or guys that you, you know, uh, struck up a bit of a rapport with in the past who, who you kind of chat to. And then, you know, being then in your role uh, with Golf Channel or, or NBC where you have to present maybe just sort of 
cover everything in the round. And I think your colleague, Brandel Chamblee's talked about this in the past where it's difficult to maybe be friendly with, with guys on tour where you have to evaluate their performances and sometimes tell, you know, hard truths to, to the viewers. Uh, I guess yeah, that also goes for maybe the, the, you know, things like the PJ tour as well. We've seen over obviously the last couple of months discussions about, you know, potential rival breakaway leagues, whether it's the Saudi league or, or PGL. How, how do you find that sort of treading that, that fine line? Well, the first part of your question, Brandel is very different to, Brandel is a very unique analyst to a lot of the others in that he choo- chooses purposely to that for that reason, not to really go out and build those personal relationships with players because then he can just be very black and white and matter of fact about his argument based on statistics mm. and the numbers and what he sees historically from them. A lot of other people... A lot of us, um, you know, we would go out and walk the range and try and chat to players and caddies and coaches to get stories and information about what they're doing and what they're working on. Now, some players would tell you that they don't respect what Brandle does because he doesn't make the effort to talk to them personally. But, you know, Brandle would argue that numbers and, you know, stats on the BGA Tour don't lie. So that's what he goes off. Um, you, You know, there's there's a lot of players out there that that I know well. And of course, like you root for certain people or you root for certain storylines, but you know, on air, you, you don't, you're very neutral and biased. Um, and yeah, when it comes to all these rival league stuff, like I've always just been a person that I'll, be, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I haven't, you know, the other beauty of my role is I'm a host. I'm not an analyst, which mm-hmm. I think is actually a bit more of a black and white situation in in american broadcasting and american tv than it is in the uk but it's not my place to give my opinion it's my place to ask them the questions so brandle is very opinionated on it for example i i'm not there to to say what i think about it because my role is to kind of be the traffic cop as they would say over here um yeah and if it launches it launches if if people choose to play i guess we'll see what the repercussions are when it when it comes about that's kind of always been my attitude is that um you know we'll believe it when we see it but like you said earlier on cara you have you have had a very rare day off and on your day off you've been very generous to give us some of your time (laughs) so we must thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and we will look forward to the next few days watching you on sky which is a rarity for us beginning to watch you on sky on the golf channel so i hope you have a wonderful masters i hope it all goes well for you and uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast pleasure guys thanks for asking i've loved it and i'll talk to you soon watch this